All right, so I guess it's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, what's everyone drinking tonight? What am I drinking tonight? You brought me my beer. Paul... I did bring you a beer. You didn't bring me my beer. It's in the mail. Oh, okay. yeah. I'll check um, it in three The, the to mailman five days. was not too happy about me just putting a stamp on a <laughs> beer can and just kind of handing it to him, but I don't know. We'll see if that makes it here. Yeah, I didn't write your address on it, so that may have been part of the problem. So I'm drinking... It's called Sucker Punch. It's a watermelon prickly pear fruited sour that was Ooh. released for a Pride Month beer from a brewery up in Frederick, Maryland. That sounds um, think- excellent. Would you say watermelon prickly pear? Yes. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah, that brewery was fun. Um, I am drinking a Southern Star Strawberry Blonde, which is a uh, Southern Star is a brewery down near Houston. Um. And so I haven't been there, but it's a very good strawberry beer, unlike Abita, um, who I love, but their strawberry beer sucks. That's that's my that's my opinion. Anyway, yeah. Nathan, what you got? Yeah. Speaking of fruit, I'm drinking a cheer wine ale. Evan, cheer do you wine. know what cheer wine is? Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Courtney. And it's still the off season. I think we're we might already be over halfway done with the off season. So we're going to try to squeeze in one of these. I think we've done these and at least one of these in every single off season that we've had this show. It's a time for a where are they now? Yes. Also, fall camp starts next week. I don't know if y'all knew that, but I think it starts a week from today as we record this. Do you guys know how many days there are until college football, according to the official countdown? Uh, How many? Probably 50? 37 days. 16 hours. Why did I say 50? It's the end of July, guys. Uh, And it's okay. You're you're infamously bad at math, but just on this show. You're not the engineer of the group. That's true. I'm not. If I was, we'd be in trouble. We would not build any bridges (laughs) successfully. Um, On the show. So, yes, on the show. Uh, So where are they now? I think I'm starting, right? Yeah, Yeah, let's let's go and introduce the concept for a second, just in case you haven't heard one of these before. Uh, The idea is we take a famous tech alumni or at least someone who went to tech for a period of time and talk about might be might be playing fast. Yeah, we've been doing this long enough. We've got we're kind of, you know, scraping the bottle of the barrel, but that's sometimes where the good stuff is. Hold your hold your tongue, sir. I I wouldn't say that. I'm actually very intrigued by the person that I picked. Okay, the medium of the barrel. Sure, we're. Sure, we're the, we, we can we can circle out of the middle here. It's like when you get a yogurt and you get like lick the yogurt lid because there's more yogurt on it. I think that's where we're at. I'd rather it be a pudding cup, but I think we can circle around at the end and determine if that's actually true. Okay, I also would rather a pudding cup, but you know, let's go ahead and move on. The idea is to talk about these uh, people <laughs> while they were at tech, uh, kind of talk about their time there, then also what they did after they le- left tech. And the idea is, where are they now? This person you may have heard of from Tech's past. What are they doing currently? Sometimes we pick people who are, you know, would be kind of shockingly old in modern day. So it's okay if you pick someone who has passed away. I say it to mostly myself because I pick someone who passed away. Anyway. Because when you say, where are they now? And the answer is six feet underground. That just doesn't sound right. Yeah. Well, I think it's more about the journey than the where they are now, right? That's oh, uh, it's for sure. Where are they now? But that's not really a great name for it. Um, the real friends were the ones we made along the way to now. How did they impact history? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So no pressure, Evan. You're first. We should call this like the GTPDD book reports or something like that. Because I felt like I was writing a book report. 
Except I feel like that my like English teachers along the way would have very much frowned upon the fact that I sourced most of this from Wikipedia. Yeah, we do we do we get like a free personal pan pizza for completing this? Get a bunch of AR points. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so I'll get us started here. And my tech alum, y'all have never heard of before, I guarantee it. Bet. Um her name is Christine Santana. That name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. Okay, well, she was born in uh, May 1979 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Ooh. Yeah. So she came to Louisiana Tech in 2000 to play volleyball for the Lady Texters. Um, so we've never covered a volleyball player in this in these segments before. She had a fantastic volleyball career at Tech. Uh, she played all four years and really made a name for herself as a star player in Ruston. Um, in her four years, she led the team each year and accumulated 1,434 kills, which is fourth all time in Texter I feel history. Like that would make the news. <laughs> Does anyone know what a kill is? I know Josh is our volleyball guy. He's not here. I but... don't know anything about volleyball. Yeah. So, so a kill is when you hit a ball that is deemed unreturnable by the other team. So she did that. Uh, 1,434 times, fourth all time. She averaged 3.5 kills per set, which ranks second all time. And she also led the team in digs uh, in two of her four years. And I forgot to look up what a dig is, but I'm pretty sure it's like when you are the one who who hits like a spike, you're the one who like hits it up and like stops it from hitting the ground, if that makes sense. It yeah. does make sense. I, I think we're, I'm realizing now that is this your backdoor way of teaching us about volleyball for future episodes of the show? Uh, Maybe, I, I guess. We'll see. Like maybe next year the volleyball team will be good and I'll be like, hey, I know what a dig is. Hey, they yeah. did move on campus today. They did tweet about that. Oh, you that's know. nice. It all comes together. Um, Christine also led the team in aces once, which is where you serve it and they and it's just like a, you know, same as tennis, right? Which I pretend i know a lot about tennis i guess now uh-huh. um yeah but love. It's, you know that's the one with birdies right <laughs> yes yes um so her senior season in 2003 really put her on the map as a potential star in the volleyball world she averaged 4.2 kills per set which is the second best season a texter has ever had and set the all-time record for most service aces in a season with 56 but you know this is where are they now so i'm gonna focus on you know what she's done after tech for most of this. So she leaves Louisiana tech in 2003. She got a degree and she switched her sights to a new goal. She wanted to become an Olympic athlete. And so the Olympics offer two forms of volleyball. There's indoor, which has six players per team. And then there's beach volleyball, which is two players per team. So she uh, joined up with a partner named Andreza Martins and joined the um, Federation Internationale de Volleyball world tour as a beach volleyball player in 2006. So she's training for the Olympics, which are going to be held in Beijing in 2008. And her native Brazil had two teams that could qualify uh, for those Beijing Olympics. So there are seven pairs competing for those two spots. And so it's pretty tough, right? And so Santana was in Portugal to watch her husband play a, a beach volleyball match. And this guy approaches her. And asks her, like, you know, starts talking to her about volleyball and saying, you know, hey, I, like, I know who you are. And uh, turns out this guy is the president of the Georgian Volleyball Federation. 
Georgia as um, in the country? Country? Uh, yes, not the state where you just were, Courtney, uh, seeing a dinosaur. And I guess, Nathan, you were there too. I but was also seeing the dinosaur. Yeah, so not Savannah, Georgia, but like whatever a town in the country of Georgia is called. I, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. Atlanta too. Yes. <laughs> is that where Atlanta Atlantis is? Yeah, that makes much more sense. Our Georgia. Yes. So this this guy, the president of the Georgian Volleyball Federation, wants her to get dual citizenship and play in the Olympics on behalf of his country, Georgia. Uh, so she's real close now, all of a sudden, to her lifelong dream of being an Olympian. And so she talks to her partner um, about it. And they uh, they were still working on qualifying. So they had to gain enough points on the international volleyball circuit. I don't know how that works. Um, but they qualified. They had enough points to qualify, so they decided, "Hey, let's get our let's get our dual citizenship and become Georgians." So, of that accomplishment, she said, "Quote: I am more than happy. I can't even imagine how it will be to play in the games. I think it's a magical moment. Plus, I have all my family supporting us uh, back in Brazil, and they are very proud of us." So, yeah, kind of a weird, uh, weird thing, right? To you're, she's going to be playing for a different country um no but i mean like an opportunity for the olympics who would pass that up Uh, so one of 24 teams to qualify for the olympics and like you're basically you know she was looking at probably not qualifying as a brazilian so i wonder um, if there's a small enough country that would be so desperate they would ask me to play on their volleyball team someone who has not played (laughs) volleyball since like high school but would that small enough country even qualify for the olympics they would if i was on that team I at least have the confidence. You're getting too confident with all your softball stuff. Yeah, Nathan, yeah. Nathan wins one beer league softball you, championship, and now all of a sudden he's an Olympian. Okay. And then You're I scored getting- one of our three <laughs> runs last night Oh, in, in round shit. two. Yeah, the second session started. Man. Anyway, not the point. Yeah, I, Maybe, maybe I have, one day we'll be talking about my softball career on Where Are They Now? Because I'll be yeah. famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second generation of GTPDDers. Lord bless our children. <laughs> Oh God! I uh, I had a, a home run, a double, and two singles last week. Went four for four, as my team lost five to four. So I'm I'm Tungsten Armo Doyle or whatever from those tweets. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, yeah. So at the Olympics, things got pretty interesting pretty quick. So there's like three qualifying games, and they have to play you know against other countries. Obviously, you guys know how the Olympics work, but. On August 7th, a little international turmoil happened outside of the Olympics, and that was Russia invaded Georgia, um, kicking off a five-day war that resulted in Russia claiming control of the port of uh, Abkhazia. That's a town in Georgia, or it was in Georgia. It's now in Russia, (laughs) I guess. Um, Was it also a Delta hub? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Um, (laughs) So that consisted of a lot of Georgia's coastline on the Black Sea. So Russia wanted it. They took it. The war also left 100,000 people without homes, and it turned Christine and her partner Andreza into a representative for a country that she had only been to two times. Because on August 12th, Christine and Andreza took on Russia in a qualification match. So there's literally a war going on between these two countries. And all of a sudden, Louisiana Tech alum Christine uh, (laughs) Santana finds herself as a Brazilian uh, in the middle of this sort of international, you know, intrigue. I don't mean to, like, make light of this, but this sounds like the plot to a movie. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the only a little way bit. to defeat the Russians is to beat them in volleyball in the Olympics. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. So um, uh, maybe there is a movie script here. Um, so Christine took on the nickname before this game, Saka, S-A-K-A, and uh, her partner took on the name Ritvelo, R-T-V-E-L-O. So Saka Ritvelo, which is actually the the word for Georgian in the Georgian language. So they kind of like put those names on the back of their shirts and they're like, you know, we're representing the country and all that stuff. So this game was broadcast on national TV in Georgia and it was the highest attended group stage game uh, match by both press and fans. So the press is obviously all over this, right? Yeah. Um, so the pair lose their first set 21 to 10. So not looking good. It's best two out of three though. So we got, we got a chance here. Um, in volleyball, you have to win by two. I know that much. And they come back to win set two, 22 to 20. In the rubber match, the, quote, Georgians, right, the Brazilians who are representing Georgia, win 15 to 12, eliminating Russia from the competition Ooh. and keeping Hell their yeah. own hopes alive for advancement. So I think your movie uh, thing is good here. The Russians, by the way, are named, uh, just to torture myself a little bit, Alexandra <laughs> Shuryaeva, Shuryaeva probably, and Natalia Uryadova. Okay. Um, so in the post-match press conference, because that was a thing that I found several articles about, <laughs> um, Christine said, quote, we had to give extra for the Georgian people. Today, I feel like I'm Georgian. I knew it was an important game to get, you know, to keep our hopes alive. And I knew it was an important game for the Georgian people. I think they're very uh, proud of us. So then she offered some of the usual platitudes, you know, congratulating the Russian team, saying like, oh, yeah, they're like they're a really good team. You know, we were honored to play them, that sort of thing. Then Shuryayeva says they're not even Georgians. (laughs) Um, And so the president of the Georgian Volleyball Federation, who's there, says sore losers. The Russians should go home. (laughs) And then (laughs) Uryadova says it is very stupid for Georgia to start a war with Russia because we are very big and they are very small. But that is always the w- the way in history with Georgia. Okay, but um, wait, hold sounds... on, wait a second. Didn't did did you not say that Russia invaded Georgia though? I mean, that's what this is. I mean, not to get too into modern politics <laughs> thing, Ukraine. but that's the Ukraine yeah. situation again. Oh yep. no! Well, we're the good guys here. We didn't invade you. You well, shouldn't declare let, war let on just, us. What the? F- anyway. Let me just put it this way: I found Christine's Instagram, and she posted, you know, about a week after the Ukraine. Um, invasion started the the war between Russia and Ukraine. She posted a picture of herself playing volleyball against Russia and compared the <laughs> situations directly. So yes, I think it's very similar. So then Shurya Yeva says they probably don't even know the name of Georgia's president. And Christine, oh God, there's so many Russian sounding Russian slash Georgian sounding names here. But Christine says his name is Mikhail Saksvili. I met his wife at the Athletes Village the other day. She was lovely. And then Shuri Eva says they're Brazilian. And then Christine says, I want to congratulate them because I know they're a good team. Despite where we're from, I don't want there to be a war between us um, to kind of end it up and, uh, you know, tie things up in a nice bow and sort of take the high road. Right. Uh, but I thought that was hilarious that like everything was going perfectly fine. They're about to wrap it up. The press is probably all sad because they're like, man, we thought this was going to be spicy. And then, and then one of the Russian players is like, they're not even Georgian. 
So Christine and her partner, unfortunately, placed 17th out of 24. They did not advance to the knockout stage. I guess maybe if they placed 16th, they would have. I'm not sure how that worked. Uh, She now resides back in Brazil and coaches beach volleyball. And she's still referred to by that Sokka nickname to this day um, in volleyball circles. So that's pretty cool. And of her time at Louisiana Tech, she said, quote, Louisiana Tech did a lot for my career. I had amazing years there and my volleyball grew a lot there. I also thank Tech for my degree, which is very important in my life. I will always miss Tech and I want to come back to visit someday. I will always be a lady texter. And that is the story of Christine Santana and how she took down the Russians. All right. Who's next? That would be me. So unlike probably everybody in this group, I'm not going to be covering a sports person. Um, does the name Marcus Desha Swayze mean anything to you guys? That doesn't sound like a name. I yeah. mean, so he goes by or his shortened Mark Swayze, um, not Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Mark okay, Swayze. that's about as close as I got. Okay, so I didn't know because, Evan, you're a history person and we're all nerds in this group. So I figured maybe you would get it. But mm, so this is even better. Not yet. All right. So let's just dive into this. So he was born on July 17th, 1913. I really couldn't find any details about his early life. But in an interview that I watched with him um, that he did with PBS, he did express like a sincere gratitude to his parents and family for always supporting him. So Um, He was a native to Monroe, Louisiana, and graduated from Neville High School. Um, He then attended ULM when it was the Northeast Center of LSU, so a two-year college, and majored in music. I couldn't find if he actually had gotten a two-year degree from them, but he did earn a degree from his bachelor's degree from Louisiana Tech University in fine arts after that. And then the timeline gets a little choppy here. So So he's a music guy. He's a fine arts guy, yes. Um, So the timeline gets a little choppy because I don't know where in his career and like post-grad where this fell, but he did end up going back to ULM when it had changed its name to Northeast um, to obtain his master's degree in fine arts. But I couldn't find like when he did that, um, if it was before or after the rest of this stuff. So this is a very general question, but do you guys want to take a guess as to what he went on to do after graduation? Fine arts degree. So it sounds like he probably stayed in the North Louisiana area, I guess. Mm, Uh, Perhaps. And so he's born in 1913, you said, or 1919? 1913. I'm going to guess he's like a a renowned like like ace pilot in World War II or something like that. Good guess, good guess. I'm going to say he wrote the alma mater for Louisiana Tech. Ooh, good guess. Well, or both. I'm gonna, I changed my <laughs> I changed my guess to both. <laughs> Actually, at the same time too. He was active yeah. a pilot. <laughs> it's like Francis Scott Key writing the writing the Star Spangled Banner. He's like in jail as a POW, and he's like, I'm gonna write the alma mater for Louisiana Tech. <laughs> yeah, might as well. I'm already here. I have enough napkins on me. He's such a good pilot that he's able to like get one of those planes where you can do the writing in the sky and just like writes it out. <laughs> yes, in the sky. He, he he made up the alma mater on the fly, literally, because he's in a plane by sky writing it. Over North Louisiana. No, over, well, is, over is France. Right? No, over he's, fr- well. he's, yeah, he's in France. He's flying in World War II. Anyway, okay, what did he actually do? Well, is that not right? <laughs> I know, I'm about to disappoint you guys. So, actually, after his graduation, he went back to his r- original job of delivering milk from his uncle's dairy farm. 
Um, which I also. I mean, that's pretty much what I said. Yeah, yeah, more or less. totally. <laughs> you can spell things with milk. This is kind of an <laughs> anecdote that I, I didn't put in my notes, but like I thought it was kind of funny, like for the times or whatever. So, um, he talked about in an interview that like in the area that he did this milk delivery in, his uncle had actually revolutionized the milk delivery process by deciding to strap a wagon to a horse to do milk delivery so they weren't having to go from house to house on foot. So Okay. It seems but, like such man. an obvious thing, but I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. think of like the people who are saying, no, that's blasphemy. How dare you? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I would make so much money in the past just by being yeah. like, wait. I mean, it's- it's I don't even need a sports almanac. I can just like, duh, do this to <laughs> put <laughs> ham and cheese together on a sandwich. Yeah, it's Wachita Parish in the early 1900s. Um, so, you know, w- what can you do? So anyway, after a couple of months of doing this, he got a call from Elizabeth Pathay, who at the time was the head of the art department at Louisiana Tech. And there was a member from the art department faculty named Louise Smith who had a cousin who illustrated a comic strip and needed an assistant. So his fine arts degree was actually focused more in illustrations than it was in music, but he was multi, multi-talented, obviously. Yeah, I mean, milk, milk revolutionary <laughs> fine arts guy, music guy. Yeah. yeah so, so you're yeah. saying he illustrated the alma mater. Yeah, totally. That's what he did. <laughs> So that cousin of the um, Louisiana Tech department faculty member was Russell Keaton, who would go, he would go on to produce the Flying Flyin' Jenny newspaper comic strip with the, for the Bell Syndicate in Chicago. Um, so this was his sort of foot in the door moment for his illustrations just starting out his career and his life. So in 1941, after working for the Bell Syndicate, Swayze actually captured the attention of Fawcett Comics in New York City. He was hired primarily to illustrate the covers for Wiz Comics and the Captain Marvel Adventures. However, he became a top artist for the company and is best known for his writing and his pencil work in the Captain Marvel stories. And no, this isn't the Captain Marvel that the audience would be thinking of, obviously, given the time. I'm talking about the original Captain Marvel, now owned by DC Comics, who we know as Shazam. Wait. Didn't yes. it, there's a movie that like just came out about that, right? Um, or like a few in the past few years. I'm not certain about that. I mean, there are Shazam movies, obviously, but I'm not certain about the original. I mean, Captain Marvel was like the Marvel Captain Marvel, the female. She was written about, I know, in like 2019, I think. But um, yeah, I'm not certain about this because I mean, there's been Shazam movies all throughout time. Um, I think there was like a lawsuit about the name or something, but. Yeah. So it was originally through Fawcett Comics. Um, now it's owned by DC, obviously. So he is today as Shazam. Um, he also co-created Mary Marvel, who is known as Lady Shazam, with his colleague Otto Binder. And I thought this was interesting because um, Mary Marvel was actually one of the first female spinoff comics and a major male superhero and predated the introduction of Supergirl by more than a decade. So we're still in the 1940s right now? This is 1941. Wow. Yeah. So this guy went from an assistant on like a newspaper comic strip, it sounds like, to like drawing a comic that still exists today, basically. Yes, yes, exactly. Almost like 85 years later. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, Yeah, I saw this guy and was like, oh my gosh, there's so much good information about this. So fun fact, according to Dr. Wiki, Captain Marvel was the most popular superhero of the 1940s, even outselling Superman. 
Um, DC's Captain Marvel was also the first comic book superhero to be adapted into a film, which was the 1941 Republic Pictures production of The Adventures of Captain Marvel. Oh, so did he work on the movie? Do you know? I'm not sure. I could not find anything about that. It looked like most of his illustrations, all of the stuff that I found were were from the comics, essentially. Mm. Um, so, Evan, you weren't 100% off because in 1942, he did get drafted and enlisted and served in the uh-huh. U.S. Army for World War II at Fort Oglethorpe in North Georgia. Hey, look, it's, it's a Georgia episode, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Georgia. <laughs> I know. Um, so during this time of the service, he actually continued to write Captain Marvel scripts. Um, but like I said earlier, he was a man of many talents and had a gift for music that started early on. Um, I actually, from what I found in his interview, it sounded like he was actually a self-taught musician and he just had a passion for music. So his army commander actually noticed this when he was playing in like an army quartet, like on the side, like during, you know, during the world at war to entertain the troops and actually introduced him to Bing Crosby. Oh, and he played guitar. What is this, a crossover episode? Oh, I know. <laughs> he, um, he played guitar for Bing Crosby concerts for the troops. Like, so, you know, from the interview, it was kind of like a little choppy, but they had shipped out like the big military band. And so there was like a quartet of them, like guys that were still talented that weren't in that band that got left behind. And so they were like entertaining the troops. Simpler times, I guess. Wow. So post-war, this is 1944 now, we're, we're kind of crawling along, um, following his discharge, um, he was missing home, so he was living in New York. The Fawcett Comics was in the Paramount Building, which is in Times Square, so for a guy that's from Monroe, Louisiana, Wachita Parish, he was a very much like home, home guy, he wanted to be back home, so he made an arrangement with Fawcett Comics to continue to produce art and stories on a freelance basis from his home in Monroe. Um, During this time, he primarily wrote for WOW Comics, um, which was an ongoing monthly Golden Age comic book anthology series. Um, So for this, he actually created both art and storylines for The Phantom Eagle. Don't know if you guys have ever heard of The Phantom Eagle, but that's another one. Um, and he also repicked up the Flying Jenny publications at this time and became the feature artist of that record. After WoW Comics ceased publication in August of 1948, Swayze continued to produce artwork for Fawcett's top-selling line of romance comedies, including Sweethearts and Life Story. I was able to actually find some of these comics online. They're free out there. And I mean, it's just, you know, your 1940s, 1950s style comics that are just like, yeah, it's I, so I- cool to me. I just found the, one of the covers of a Phantom Eagle just because I was I wanted to look up a random one that you had mentioned. It's a World War II based, I think. Yeah, um, here I'm about comic. to post it in, in in our little chat right here. That's a that's a look. It's badass. <laughs> oh wow! Very different from modern day comics. <laughs> Is he taller than those planes? I think. Yeah. I th- <laughs> <laughs> He's also not an eagle or a phantom, so I don't. No, really he is wearing like on. a falcon hat though that you used to like keep a falcon from looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> so in the mid 1950s, um, Fawcett comics did cease publication. Um, and Swayze switched over to working for Charlton publications before ending his career in comics. Um, from what I could tell, it seemed like Charlton publication had actually picked up most of the comics that were originally produced by Fawcett. Obviously not Shazam. Since that got picked up by DC. 
So post-comic, I couldn't find a year on this, but he did some um, additional, like, work. He worked for Allen Matheson Chemical Corporation um, and actually developed their art department for the company's packaging division. So uh, retail packaging, consumer market, shopper appeal, and sophisticated graphic design, because that was around the time, like, where that kind of started to become on the forefront of uh, marketing to customers. So this is this is 1966 onward, kind of like circling this all up. Um, all throughout his life, he stayed very committed to his northern Louisiana community. Um, later in life, he served on the Washita Parish School Board. He served as the vice president of the American Legion. And he continued to mentor um, students in the area in art and music. Um, he did stay active in the comic book world, too, with a regular column that was posted in the Alter Ego on a monthly basis, this magazine or comic, I guess, um, it was focused on comics and comic creators from the 1930s through the late 1960s. Um, so these were posted on a monthly basis. The columns really contained his life memoirs, and he wrote these columns on a monthly basis until he died in 2012. Wow. So, yeah, he, like, continued to, like, and I found a few of them online, and, like, it's not just writing, there's also illustrations. In an interview I found, he also said, like, uh, in his leisure time, in his retirement, he would still play guitar and piano, and he would draw on a daily basis. So I know I said I would be the one not covering a sports person on the podcast, but I couldn't not tell you about Mark Swayze without actually including this. So I found two sources that said he was also a former semi-professional league baseball player, but I could find no further information after Hmm. that. (laughs) <laughs> interesting so he yeah. died in 2012 and he was born in 1913 he was 99 years old when he died wow yeah yeah so yeah he had a huge impact on the artistic and comic book community he died on october 14 um 2012 at the age of 99 still in monroe louisiana uh so yeah to kind of end this i wanted to share a quote from him with you guys so when he was being interviewed by the monroe news star in 2000 He described his philosophy of developing comics as the utilization of art in storytelling so that even a child who couldn't yet read could get a story out of it. And as a lifelong lover of books and comics for as long as I can remember, that quote just kind of like resonated with me. So that's awesome. Yeah, that is Mark Swayze. Man, how many like random like people (laughs) like this do we have hiding in our like alum base, you know? Well, I mean, apparently, according to the Sims guy. Yeah, we had the guy that Josh mentioned, uh, or the lady that Josh mentioned that uh, was in Dragon Ball Z, who's a voice actor. Like, I forgot about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I found this guy and was like, wait a second, he wrote, he he wrote what? (laughs) By the way, you can get, so I don't know if, I don't know which ones he wrote on exactly, but if you Google Captain, or if you eBay Captain Marvel Fawcett, um there are several issues from the 40s available for like 175 dollars so uh i won't be buying them but (laughs) (laughs) good to know good to know pretty cool though pretty cool yeah all right let's move on to the third and final topic for today's book reports Um, unfortunately the guy i'll be talking about was a tech great who passed away just back recently in 2021 uh, but I was viewing his tribute wall on his online obituary, uh, which often contains useful little anecdotes um, when we're looking up people who've recently passed away. Uh, and this was one quote that I saw that I knew I had to open this bit with. And the quote is, 
As far as I was concerned, he was the best overall athlete to come through La Tech, and I had the privilege to broadcast his game, end quote. And Dave it was Nitt. by David Gerald Nitz. Wow. He signed okay. his middle name to it. Also, his middle name is Gerald. And so I would like to talk about the greatest overall tech athlete of the past 50 years. That's Keith Thibodeau, the Cajun hurler. The Cajun hurler. The Cajun hurler. Do you that know who I'm talking like about here? That sounds like a wrestler. It does sound like a wrestler. Thibodeau. I don't know who you're talking about, actually. That's good. All right. So I'm going to be talking about baseball pitcher Keith Thibodeau. Okay. His freshman year at Tech was 1977. And before I really get started here with about uh, talking about Thibodeau, I want to point out how that baseball season opened just from looking at the schedule. On February 25th, opening day, there was a doubleheader at East Texas Baptist. The next day, February 26th, there was a doubleheader at Northwestern State. And then the day after that, February 27th, another doubleheader against Northwestern, this time back at the Love Shack, or as it was known at the time, Tech Stadium. Wow. Six games in three days to open up the season, and Thibodeau started the fifth of those games and picked up the win, starting the, signaling the start of great things to come. So he's over a freshman. His, he's a freshman and starting already okay. in the fifth wow. game of the season. Over his four-year career as a tech pitcher, he set quite a few school records. 285 innings pitched, that's the ninth most in tech history. And he did that by leading the team in innings pitched in 1977, 1978, and 1980. Not really sure what happened in 1979, but still, ninth most in tech history. He's also tied for seventh most in strikeouts in Bulldog history with 247. And finally, the third most wins from a Louisiana Tech Bulldog with 28 over the course of his college career. Wow. Um, but it's a couple of the wins in 1980 that I, I want to focus on here. First was a complete game one hitter against UT Arlington on May 10th, which is impressive enough on its own. A one hit game. Tech has only done it 34 times since they started keeping tra- uh, track of these stats in 1970. But this one was an 11 inning game. And he pitched the entirety of it. Oh, my God. Afterwards, he gave a quote to the newspaper saying, I don't even really feel tired. Even after 11 (laughs) innings of throwing, I still feel good. That's that's crazy. He's like, take that run off the board. Get me back out there. (laughs) Uh, But that performance is important from him because it boosted Tech into the Southland Championship Series. And back in these days when Tech was in the Southland, especially back here in 1980, it wasn't a double elimination tournament like it is now for the Conference USA. This was a best of seven championship between the top two teams. What? So they had seven more games to go, or at least least four. Best of seven. They're just like, fuck it, Southland World Series. (laughs) Pretty much. Also... So that series started four days after this UT Arlington game, and Thibodeau started that first game and picked up the win. Of course. Of course. Uh, Tech won at least three. He wasn't tired. Yeah, like you said, he could keep going. He He was well-rested. Wheaties, let's go. Yes. Uh, Tech won three more against Lamar in that championship series to earn a spot in the Austin Regional. And so, again, this is 1980. The NCAA switched over to that regional model in 1975, pretty much the same as what it is now. I think Super Regionals came later, but Tech yeah. hasn't been to a Super Regional ever, so that doesn't matter. Yeah, Supers, I think, were sometime in the 90s, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Tech qualified for a regional by winning the Southland in 1975 and 78, but both times were eliminated in two games. So they had gone 0-4 in regional play. But in 1980, 
guess who? Thibodeau got the start and beat Texas, the regional host, for their first win ever in an NCAA regional. And Thibodeau did this with a, with a complete game because how else would he do it featuring 11 strikeouts? Uh, and the paper notes that seven of those 11 strikeouts were as the third out of the inning. So he actually struggled a bit in this game with walks. So he'd load the bases, get a couple men on, but just find a way to strike out that last batter and not allow the damage. The newspaper, I believe this, I'm taking most of this from the Shreveport Times, called it the greatest win in tech baseball history. Damn. Wow. It was one of 11 other wins for Thibodeau in 1980, or one of 11 total wins, which is the third most in a single season ever by a Bulldog. And Richie LeBlanc and Randy McGilberry are the ones that have him beat, and they both have 12, but Thibodeau did it in four fewer games than LeBlanc, LeBlanc and seven fewer than McGilberry. So... I think he, he he should count, is what I'm saying. Also, nine of those 11 wins were complete games. He was not allowing a reliever to come in and just, oh you know, blow God. it. And he allowed 4.42 hits per nine innings pitched in 1980. That's the second best in school history, and no one that has followed Thibodeau has even come close to that number. Wow. Four hits per nine innings? Yes, 4.42 hits per nine innings. Jeez. He struggled with walks throughout his career, but he did not allow you to beat him with your bat. Um, on top of that, or perhaps because of those stats I just men- mentioned, he posted a 1.91 ERA in the 1980 season that earned him the Southland Pitcher of the Year and a decent bit of draft hype. But before we talk about his post-tech career, remember Nitz at the top of this called him the best overall athlete that he had seen at Tech. What else did he play? So let's talk about Keith Thibodeau, the baseball hitter. Oh, oh my god, no way. Okay. So we have like a, a Tony Hotani sort of situation going on here. Yeah, pretty much. He wasn't quite as prolific as a hitter as he was as a pitcher, but he showed some promise early. Uh, remember that six-game, three-day insanity that started his freshman season? Yeah. On that third day, he pitched in the opener, started the opener. I believe that was a complete game from him as well. The second game of the day, he started in center field. Uh, <laughs> So oh he's my not God. DHing. No, he would what later it? in his career. I Hold found on, some wait. box scores in 1980 that had him at DH, but yeah. So before this was, okay, I was going to ask, were designated hitters a thing in college baseball back then? So I've, I wasn't able to find every box score. I kind of had to go through newspapers.com and which ones the Shreveport Times had sure. uploaded and things like that. But there were definitely games that did not have DHs and some that did. So I think it was a dependent on a few things, whether or not you used DH. Could be that Southland play allowed it and other conferences didn't and something, but it wasn't an everyday thing, but it was a Sunday's thing. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so played center field his freshman year in the sixth game of the season starting. Uh, I wasn't able to find box scores for the other two games or the other two days. So four total games, uh, but it's possible he started then too, but he was consistently good enough to be in the outfield, at least by his senior year, or at least at DH, for example, Tech played 68 games in 1980. Thibodeau played in as a pitcher, outfielder, or as a DH in 64 of them. (laughs) So he qualifies on the top 10 list of Bulldogs with the most appearances as a hitter. Wow. (sighs) Not played appearances, but game appearances. Yeah, that has to make him quite valuable, I would guess, in um, the MLB draft, I would think. Yeah, in the regular season that year, his senior season in 1980, he hit 296 with eight home runs. Oh, wow. That's Shit. that's pretty damn good, especially yeah. for a uh, yeah, pitcher. Yeah, for a pitcher, for sure. That's good for anybody. 
I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, better. I mean, I don't know. It may not be as good as Nathan. <laughs> well, this season I'm two for two, so I'm just going to retire <laughs> here. All right. So remember those two games I talked a little bit more detail in when he was a pitcher, the one hitter against UT Arlington and the regional win against Texas. So that UT Arlington game, again, 11 inning, one hitter at 0-0 going into the bottom of the 11th with two outs when Thibodeau comes up to plate and hits a three-run home run to walk it off. Hell yeah. Allows no runs, gets one, allows no runs and one hit over 11 innings and plates Tech's only runs of the game. (sighs) Wow. Just wow. (laughs) That's all I have. Yeah. So... This man then went on to say that he's not even tired. <laughs> Wasn't able to get that quote. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's right. That was this yeah, game. So, this yeah, game. that was not only <laughs> did he do all that. Just he also was batting. Eat some Wheaties and go on about this your day. This man no said the deal. University of Texas at Arlington ain't shit. That's what <laughs> Pretty <he said>. much. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, against the University of Texas at Austin is where 19 days later, that game in the Austin Regional takes place. This was the one that he got the win in, and uh, this was another complete game. Tech's first win in a regional ever. In that game, the game was tied at two. He hit an RBI triple to put Tech on top, and then he was hit home from third as well. And that was the deciding fourth run in what would be a four to three victory. (laughs) So got the pitching win and scored the winning run himself. Uh, There was an article about this game in the Shreveport Journal. I guess maybe that was my source for most of this called Thibodeau wanted to win was just the title of would, this. I the whole talk about the game entirely so. was just that. Also, it was written by a very good f- friend of the show from a few episodes back. JJ Marshall, infamous band hater. Hell yeah. Hey. Talk to him. So, he, so he went on. He went on to work for the Shreveport Journal then. Uh, apparently his his band hatred got him a job, I guess. <laughs> um, OK, so that's that's Keith Thibodeau, the baseball hitter. But again, Nitz called him the best overall athlete, not the best oh, overall God. baseball player. He play. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. I want to guess. Okay. Did he play football? So now it's time to talk about football quarterback. Oh, Keith Thibodeau. oh my God. No. Shit, dog. No. This man no. did not Thibodeau. play quarterback. No. There's no way. <laughs> so Keith Thibodeau was actually at Tech on a football scholarship. He was recruited as a quarterback <laughs> and also punter. Uh, did he play he was, for the soccer team too? He was also the head chef at the fucking cafeteria. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, come this, on. This is the guy that wrote the alma mater. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote right. Fight Go Dogs. I wonder too. if my dad anyway. knows this guy. My dad was yeah. on campus at that time. Yeah, to be clear, he didn't punt much, if at all, at tech. I mean, most of these box scores that I'm looking at, uh, don't list punting stats at all because I mean newspapers in the 1980s didn't really do this or the late 70s either. But uh, I did find a quote by Mickey Slaughter later talking about the fact that he uh, was brought on to punt but didn't actually end up doing very much of it at Tech. But again, when he signed with Tech out of high school, he was assured that he could play both football and baseball. So why not do both? Okay, wait. Did you say where he came from? Where he went to high school already? He went, it was Opelousas, but I th- oh, okay. don't know if that's the high school or the, if it's just the town. Um, okay. But yeah, South Baton, Louisiana. That's your Baton Rouge. So, yeah. Apollosis, by the way. Hence the Cajun hurler. <laughs> also, right, last anyway. name Thibodeau. It helps. Yeah. So, as a freshman in 1976, again, so football season, his freshman year, 76, baseball was 77. So, that's why these numbers are a little bit different because that's how the sports seasons work. 
Uh, he only appeared in a couple games, uh, mostly appearing in mop-up duty for starter Steve Haynes. Uh, but he was determined to win the starting job in his sophomore campaign, but there were two problems in the way. First, head coach Maxie Lambright and also uh, backfield coach Mickey Slaughter changed the offense up. And with Thibodeau not able to attend spring practice because of baseball, uh, he was well behind the other quarterbacks on the team at the start of fall camp. The second issue facing Thibodeau for becoming the football quarterback starter was that the presumed starter had just arrived on campus, Terry Bradshaw's little brother, Craig Bradshaw. I don't think I knew <laughs> that. Craig Bradshaw. Craig Bradshaw, or one, I don't think I knew Terry Bradshaw had a younger brother, and two, I guess I also wouldn't have known that he went to Tech based on that. Yeah, when I was originally doing all this research, I was like, oh, I guess that's Brad, uh, Terry Bradshaw's son. And I was like, wait, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Terry was uh, playing for Tech in 68 and 69. And uh, yeah, nice. that's, that would that would have been weird. That would have been very anyway. scandalous and questionable. Anyway. Terry Bradshaw's so, four-year-old son. <laughs> <laughs> or that desperate, yeah. So while Thibodeau didn't grab the starting job by the season opener in his sophomore season, he looked much more impressive than Craig Bradshaw in both of the first two games and had won the starting job going into week three against McNeese State. And that turned out to be the right choice as Thibodeau led Tech to a 9-1-2 record and a berth in the Independence Bowl. Wow! Oh my god, that's holy shit. Yeah, Craig Bradshaw would leave after the season, go to Utah State, and also ride their bench, but that's besides the point. This was Tech's first bowl berth in their Division One era. That had only started two years prior, but I mean, still. Evan, and is this the is this the Independence Bowl jacket that you have? No, I have the no. one from okay. ninety. Okay, okay, gotcha. Also, Craig Bradshaw was drafted, by the way, in the seventh round by the Houston Oilers. So I'm sure because of his last name, his stats at Look. Utah State were not impressive. <clears throat> he played two games in the NFL. Oh, two games. That's, yeah, that's good. It's more games Did than all get... of us combined. Yeah, it was so far. Time. Yeah. <laughs> My softball skills may transfer over. Can we get, uh, can we get named to the Georgian football team in the NFL? Yeah. Wait, and no, the Falcons? Never mind. I don't want to play <laughs> no, there. Never yeah, mind. No. Yeah, what are you talking gross. about? Oh, Evan, no. <laughs> and the Bradshaw name makes another appearance here, and that's because Thibodeau's 2,384 passing yards at the time was second only to Terry Bradshaw's 1968 school record of 2,890. <laughs> wow. Well, and that's with basically being the backup for the first two games. But in 1977, that was good enough for seventh nationally. Wow. Wow. In terms of uh, passing yards and earned him an all AP honorable mention spot. Wow. In that independent bowl, Tech beat Louisville and Thibodeau was named the offensive MVP after passing for 237 yards in the first half. 277 in the first half? 237 in the first half. Oh, my. In 1977. Damn. Yeah, the Cardinals' defense uh, like got better for the second half and, and kind of stymied Tech a little bit. They still went on to win. Tech did, so whatever. But there were quite a few stories talking about how that was an Independence Bowl record, but it was also the second year of the Independence Bowl, so that feels less impressive. But still, that's a phenomenal uh, performance. Again, we started this by talking about him as a baseball player. Unfortunately, that momentum for Thibodeau didn't carry over into the 1978 season. He showed up to fall camp with a what the newspaper called a virus that zapped <laughs> much of his strength. I was never able to find and probably would be violating HIPAA things to try to spend too much time figuring it out. Apparently it got so bad, though, that he had to be put on food supplements. Oh, wow. my. 
Um, but he still led the passing attack through the 1978 campaign and did enough in Southland play to earn another Independence Bowl berth. But he was kind of a shell of, of his former self, probably still battling the, whatever this virus was. And true freshman Eric Barkley had looked better and better as the season went on. And Maxi Lambright made the decision to bench Keith uh, Thibodeau for the 1978 Independence Bowl and went with Eric Barkley instead. And Thibodeau took that benching pretty hard. He even complained to the press about the lack of faith from the coaching staff. Uh, it was kind of weird to see someone being that just forthcoming to the local newspaper. But, you know, maybe that's okay. Maybe he needs this kind of reality check and he can come back and earn a spot, starting spot in 1979. Why not? Yeah, I mean, you you go from being a star to be being put on the bench because of, like, lackluster performance. Like, I, I get it. Yeah. And maybe he just needs to recover or or use a full fall camp and stuff. I mean, it's possible he makes his way back. But the main thing standing the way was new tech football coach Larry Beidle. Ooh. Maxie Lambright had to retire in the offseason due to heart issues and sadly, I think months later, passed away from a stroke. Um, Beidle was hired by Tech to be uh, their new head coach and had been Lou Holtz's discipline coach at Arkansas. And the first thing that Beidle did was give out some discipline. He offered Thibodeau an ultimatum. Baseball or football, you have to choose one. Wow. Or at the very least, you can't skip any spring practice for football. Jeez. So, like, you can't miss out on football practice because of a baseball game. I mean, Correct. but isn't that kind of, like, the thing nowadays, like, and why you don't see... I mean, football is definitely more, I don't know, I guess intense now than it was, like, back then. But, like, you don't see any people, like, come... Even in high school, really, you don't see people who are crossing the football, baseball, or, like, any of the major moneymaker huh. sports. Jamar did. Yeah. Jamar was on the baseball team, but he eventually quit baseball to focus on football because he was the starting quarterback. So, I mean, I I think it makes sense. But, yeah, so so Badal comes in and wins one game in his season and is giving out ultimatums? Okay, cool, bro. Yeah, well, this is before he only won one game in his season. And here's the thing. Thibodeau tried to do both. He would attend football practice when he could, but then Badal realized what he was doing. But what I was reading – didn't quite say this, so this is more conjecture than actual fact, but it seemed like he was st- structuring his starts around when football practice was, trying to be able to do both. So saying, hey, coach, put me, start me for the game on Thursday because there's a practice on Friday or something like that. Mm. Um, but Bidal started doing things that try to force his hand uh, and make him pick one. For example, on a night that Thibodeau was scheduled to pitch, Bidal suddenly held a team meeting that day that he knew that Thibodeau couldn't, afford, couldn't attend because he was out of town already. And when Thibodeau failed to show up because, you know, he was busy pitching, Bidal assigned Thibodeau a punishment drill when he came back to practice. What a douchebag. Yeah. Uh, In what would be one of the easiest constructive dismissal cases in labor law history, Keith Thibodeau quit the football team. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at some point you just have to do what's best for you because, I mean, that's just that's toxic. Yeah, and toxic kind of is what I saw a lot of from from Bidal's stint as a head coach. Uh, Eric Barkley, the guy who replaced Thibodeau and that he was benched for, also left uh, a couple months later. Uh, several others did. There was one newspaper, when talking about uh, Eric Barkley's uh, leaving the program, just had a paragraph just full of t- team members that quit the team. And really, it was mostly because of the coaching style and the strictness that Bidal was trying to put in place. But Perhaps allowing for recovery and not playing football allowed Thibodeau to have enough in the tank to dominate down the stretch in that 1980 baseball season. 
remember that magical 1980 baseball season, the senior one that I talked so much about that came months after he would have been tackled by some very large men. So <laughs> maybe this helped him here. Um, also, Thibodeau got the last laugh, like Evan said a second ago, because Bidal doesn't even last a full season. It was a one in nine record through the first 10 games. And what FJ Taylor called an unwillingness to create a base, which sounds like fan support, alumni relations, things like that. Or possibly it was just trying to live in the giant shadows left by Joe IA and Maxi Lambright. But Bidal was fired pretty quickly. And uh, it was actually Pat Patterson, the baseball coach who coached that final game, didn't ask uh, Thibodeau to come back for that one. But the coach that was hired on as the permanent replacement, Billy Brewer, for the 1980 season, asked Thibodeau to come back. Said, hey, look, you have a year of football eligibility left because you didn't play in 1979. You can play for our team. And Thibodeau told him he would come back, assuming he didn't get picked in the upcoming MLB draft. Hmm. This also sounds like a storyline or a movie line. Yeah. But in the third round with the 75th overall pick, Keith Thibodeau was selected by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Third round. Wow. Wow. Yeah, pretty confident he wasn't coming back for football, if that's the case. By the Pirates. By the Pirates. And so here we go into his time after Tech. There's not as much here, just because he did so much at Tech. I can understand kind of not being as in the public spotlight. Uh, He was picked by the Pirates, like I said, and he was selected to play in the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown. That year was between the White Sox prospects and the Pirates farm. Um, So he was one of the guys that got selected to go. He started the game, pitched five innings, and picked up the win. Nice. He dominated at the single A level in 1980, posting a sub one ERA, but struggled a bit at double A Buffalo and never ended up making it up to triple A's or the mm. middle or to a major league roster. Damn. That's rough. Unfortunately, there's not too much online about his post baseball career. He lived in Florida for a bit and then he moved back home to Louisiana to take care of his mom, um, where he lived, I believe, uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, but it's really kind of hard to find more, especially because he shares a birth name with the actor who goes by Richard Keith and who played Little Ricky on I Love Lucy. So searching for a Keith Thibodeau is a little difficult when you don't have baseball things to research and look up about. Also, you know, every fifth person living in Louisiana is a Thibodeau. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't help. Yeah. Sadly, like I mentioned at the top, he passed away in 2021, only at the age of 62. And the world lost a LaTeX legend. Hmm. I assume he's in the, the Tech Hall of Fame and all that. I wasn't able to find his name in the Tech Hall of Fame. Really? He's listed on like the all-decade teams and things like that. But We need to write a letter because, I mean, Dave Nitz, I think, was spot on about best player of all time. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, he might be. He is not. Huh. How? But, yeah, how? I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't either. Absolutely deserves. Strongly worded letter from the GTPDD cast crew, whatever we are. And both. Yeah, so I definitely think that Nitz was right hearing all of that, that he was the greatest overall athlete, at least of the time that Dave Nitz has been covering tech, which I believe is, what, 49 years now? Eh, yep. Dave Nitz is never wrong. I mean, I mean, what does Dave Nitz know? He's only watched 50 years of Louisiana Tech athletics. <laughs> I can't believe he's not in the, how is he not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, so that was where are they now? Yeah, I learned a lot tonight. You know, these are always fun just hearing hearing stories from from tech rates that a lot of times we had never heard of before because we should. And so moving to the end of the show now, let's go to this week's tweet of the week. Um, I'm kind of just single-handedly picking this one because I laughed quite a big bit at it. This week's tweet of the week goes to at LaTeX. Oh, yes. hell yeah. Yes. Absolutely it does. Absolutely. 
we've all seen this when trying to get into to boss to do whatever. The bulldog with the construction gear on, the steal his look, saying the different price amounts to replicate the boss bulldog. Perfect. I'm just happy that the same things we memed about literally like 12 years ago are still happening. Um, I guess I'm not happy that boss is still down for maintenance every day. I I can't (laughs) believe that. And I mean, Nathan, you're the IT guy of the show, but like, I can't believe that boss still operates the way that it does. A lot of things are if they ain't broke, don't fix it. Or if it's not broke enough, don't fix it. But it's already broke every day. But it works enough to where it's not worth the financial investment to, for them to fix it or to build a My new God. solution, which would cost a lot of money. Hey, Nathan, you should like freelance and offer uh, to rebuild boss for. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll float them a number. It will be way too high, but we'll see if they come <laughs> and, and, and accept it. Yeah. I, what I really want to know is, can we license that image? Can we license the boss bulldog and put it on a shirt? Oh, oh man. Great tweet. Deserves tweet of the week. And, you know. Maybe the thing that gets us sued to oblivion when we put it on a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live my life like boss, man. Just like, no, nah, I'm out of commission like 10 hours a day. Yeah, that would be That's the dream. That's what sleep is called. That's just... You get 10 hours of sleep? My God. No. Well, he works from home, so maybe. I don't. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, you don't get 10 hours of sleep. You can't sleep that long. Nope. It would also be weird to like... You know, sleep. You have a half hour lunch nap, a two hour dinner nap, and then you can sleep for however much time is left. It's yeah. like I don't feel like doing math. I know it's like you're microcycling your sleep like throughout the day, so you're more productive or some shit. Yeah, maybe maybe the boss bulldog has it all figured out. Maybe we could learn a lot from boss bulldog. <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't look like he has it all figured out. Well, those are sometimes the people that have it the most figured out. That that I guess is something. And on that wisdom, that about wraps it up for this episode of the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G-O-T-E-C, P-L-S-D-N-T-D-I-E, or head to our blog, gtpdd.dog, or our Instagram, or threads, gtpdd.dog, where on the blog, you can go to gtpdd.dog slash shop and get the merch of the month for July, beer glasses. Hey, I'm drinking out of one of those beer glasses. Yeah. Nice. I just don't need to get one of the other ones for uh, one of the logos we don't already have. Four different options, uh, some more GoTech related. And then we have the Tech Bulldog. That was one, I think, our most popular shirt that we've sold. It's now on a beer glass. So go check it out. GTPDD.dog slash shop. And until next time. Wait, wait, wait. Don't we have to shell sunflower seeds? Was that a pun? Because they I have mean- shells. <laughs> I guess so. Uh... <laughs> Go buy sunflower seeds. Yeah, I don't even know if we still have an account with that company, so I don't know. Because <laughs> they changed I mean, their platform, and I haven't looked into it. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, the, the that seeds just means are good. We have to find another sponsor, right? Hey, um, is Rolf in the market for sponsoring Louisiana Tech Podcast? Shit, he might be once once Pop Up goes worldwide. Anyway, <laughs> until next time, I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Courtney. And go tech. Please don't die. Whoop, whoop. I did say that I was not going to drink for a while after this past weekend because it was my cousin's 
wedding, and we had three days of open bar events. Oh, was this the cousin that was going to be getting married during the uh, Arkansas baseball the Arkansas series? Yeah. Weekend, but they postponed it at the last second somehow. E- yes, yes, that same cousin, and it was a beautiful wedding, and it was fantastic. But yeah, it was essentially three days of open bar with like maybe four hours of sleep each night. So, so where's the problem? Um, I'm almost thirty. <laughs> 